Welcome to Bible Theory Podcast, hosted by the Chicano Knox. Finally, a podcast about the church for the church. Bible Theory is for the streets, homie. This ain't your boy scout, choir boy type of podcast. This is for the Vato Locos who have been saved by the blood of Christ, homie. Coming straight out of Geneva. Donde están mis soldados reformados? Bienvenido a la Teoria de la Biblia podcast con el Chicano Knox. You are now entering into the reformed state of mind, homie. Where we study ecclesiology and take it to the streets, homie. Coming from that five solas. Coming from that reformed underground railroad, homie. Coming from that West West 1646. Thank you for your patience. This is the last episode I'm going to do in this format. And uh, moving forward, you will see notable changes to my episodes. Thank you again. Hey, what's going on, mi gente, my followers, my Bible theories, my uh, gospel gangsters, steel bros, and sheologians? I see you. Thank you so much for your support. It's been a, a thrill, uh, you know, going through this process with you of learning, growing and discovering, you know, sharing all these things with you. Uh, I appreciate the feedback. You know, I appreciate all you guys' uh, uh, tweets and retweets. And, uh, you know, uh, for right now, I am taking a break from social media. You know what I mean? It's been kind of heavy. So I just, I'm taking, a, you know, just a mental break from, from all that. Just for, uh, you know, maybe like a week or so, uh, just to refresh my mind, and then, and then I'll be on there for sure. But make sure you subscribe to Bible Theory on, on uh, YouTube to uh, get a free book, by the way. At the end of the month, I'll announce that winner. But anyways, I want to give a shout out to those listening to me out there. Um, and uh, I found out there's people out there in Kenya and listening to me way down there. So shout out to all my people out there in Kenya uh, downloading the the podcast on Spotify or whatever. Let me know what app you are using. And um, if you would please uh, give me a five-star rating on that app, that'd be a blessing. Anyways. All right. With, with me today, I do have a special guest with me and I have a church planter and author uh, evangelist. If I could just throw that in there as well. Uh, Ryan Denton. Ryan. What Let's go ahead and get an introduction first let's go ryan why, why don't you introduce yourself tell people who you are and uh, a little bit about yourself yeah man yeah uh it's 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 a it's a blessing to be on here at last um i live in texas i am uh i'm i'm the organizing pastor church planner for uh for two churches here in uh one in lubbock sorry man i got like the strobe light going on um one in lubbock texas and one in new mexico and so Oh, okay. They're an hour and a half apart, and so early morning Sunday, um, I had we have this service here in, in Lubbock. I don't know what's up with this light, dude. Wow, <laughs> look at this. This is never done. Yeah, so so uh, and they're an hour and a half away. These church plants. So one's early morning Sunday, and the other one's in the afternoon. And so uh, we started that about a year and a half ago. And uh, before that, though, I was primarily doing open air ministry and uh, evangelism, like on college campuses, abortion clinics, um, preaching the preaching the gospel in the open air, street corners, sporting events, things like that. And, and I still do that. And and I, I, I'm probably more at home doing that than anything else still. And, and by God's grace, 
have written a, a few books and um you know hopefully that's 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 been a blessing and and uh you know even if it's not i i've enjoyed writing it anyways and putting it out there and i'm always like i i'm certainly you know when it comes to all of this stuff but especially writing it's not like you you uh, at least me do it to to uh to become popular or famous or something like that because the right. areas that i that i write on they're so they're so niche you're not going to get a lot of people reading those books. And I understand that. Uh, but for those who are interested in, in reformed evangelism and, and just, just taking your theology and applying it in a way um, as it pertains to bring the gospel to people, I'm like, Hey, you know, if it, if it blesses a few people in that way, then, then praise be to God. But let's go ahead and take a minute to learn about the origin story about this awesome book. Give us the background origin story, per se, on this book, Augustine, the Evangelist, the zeal, hope, and um, methodology of the Bishop of Hippo. Yeah. Uh, you know, j- just walk us through, give us a tour, you know what I mean? Show us uh, what's underneath the hood, pop us open, you know what I mean? Just, just yeah. walk us through. Yeah, so so uh, it's it's actually, it's my fifth book, and... The reason I say that as far as why that's important is because this is the first time that I had tackled a historical figure as it pertains to evangelism. So all my books have, have always dealt with evangelism to some degree or another. Um, but I've, I've, I've never, um, I've, I've explored like the theology behind why theology is important when you evangelize, things like that. And there, there are certain figures that you look at here and there. Uh, but for this book, it is completely different than the other four in a sense. In another sense, it's not, because what I was wanting to do with this is to, to bring Augustine, who is one of, one of, if not the most important church father and, and really theologian, even, even um, I mean, he, he even is probably above Calvin, even as far as his influence goes. Um, in fact, Calvin, Calvin quotes Augustine more than anyone else um, that as far as his institutes go. So in Calvin's institutes, he quotes Calvin, uh, quotes Augustine and Bernard de Clairvaux more than anybody else. Um, John Knox said that that Augustine was his favorite theologian, him and John Chrysostom. So uh, and of course, Rome tries to take a lot from Augustine. I mean, he's a towering guy. And what was taking place and I've, I've read Augustine for, for probably 10, 15 years here and there. Uh, but but the uh, the way this book came about is I took a class with um, at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, and uh, the the assignment for this class was to to write something like a forty page paper on some topic regarding Augustine, and so we're reading all these books for this class, and it's a research class, so it's it's uh, it's it's a PhD level type of class, so so there's tons of reading. The, um, both both Augustine and and people who are writing about Augustine. So we're reading all of this, and uh, and then I start to realize, as far as I'm trying to think, okay, what am I going to write on? But I start to realize that Augustine is an evangelist. This guy's heart is for the lost. The lost, really, in my mind, is as far as my reading of Augustine, and 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 I've tried to be objective and not just biased and say, oh, because I'm an evangelist, I'm looking for Augustine to be an evangelist. I really do think that if you look at what Augustine does and the, the, the motive behind what he's doing, the motive in most of his ministry is the lost. And, and so 
I started kind of tinkering with that idea. And then I started, I started looking for other resources out there that kind of hits on this. And there, there was a, there was like a, a 12 page article um, written by a, uh, a Southern, a Southern grad. And, but besides that, nothing, there's no books out there. There's, there's no, no scholarly articles out there, nothing as it pertains to Augustine and evangelism. And so that kind of got me thinking. So anyways, I start writing this paper and, uh, and I hit the 40 page mark quick and I, 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 and then I'm up to like 70 pages. And then I, wow. I emailed the professor who's uh, William Van Dudeward and, and William Van Dudeward is uh, is is one of those rare professors who himself he himself has he's gone out and open air preached before. I mean he's he, you know he's a uh, he's a ARP Presbyterian theologian and uh, historian professor out now he's at Greenville. But uh but but I I'm emailing this guy saying hey you know my this paper's up to seventy pages now <laughs> can I can that work and he's like of course not I said forty <laughs> so I'm not. But but so I just keep going with it. But he's helping me. He's helping me along the way because I'm thinking I'm telling him, hey, I, th- I think there's 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 material here for a book. And uh, and he says uh, he's he's kind of looking through it and, and he starts to agree. And so he's trying to he's helping me along. Um, it gets to like one ten, and then I send it out to uh, to Tom Nettles, who's a Southern Baptist historian with Founders, um, and and he kind he gives me feedback. And so I'm getting feedback, and and then I realize. Um, there, there, there really is a book here, um, and I think the I think the final product is something like 160 pages, and and so you know with editing and all that. Um, um, long story short, I found a publisher. They put it out. I think about actually, I think it was a, a year ago, like yesterday, when it when it actually came out. And so um, it's it's it, it was it was probably strangely enough the easiest book, kind of like what you're saying as far as writing books go i mean it, some of them are just a real pain in the neck this one just it just happened in a very short amount of time and because there was nothing else out there on augustine as evangel as an event i mean you can find augustine literature on anything i mean every single topic right. under the sun right. people have written on but when it comes to evangelism nobody's touched it and that doesn't surprise me because evangelism like think about conferences you know you have these big conferences and and they they do it on every topic under the sun, but you'll it's very rare you'll hear something on on evangelism or missions or something like that. And uh, but yeah, long story short, here we are. So yeah, was, man. That, wow, that that's a great great um, origin story um, in terms of the discovery of learning something, I guess, uh, or rediscovering right uh, something uh, that was there that I guess no one really like looked into as much let's go ahead and learn a little bit more of an introduction about augustine before we move forward but let, let, let's go into this um to this big character called augustine mm-hmm. if you can give us a, a little intro of who he was uh you know and why is he so important uh for those out there listening who might be like Augustine? What is that like? Some kind of like isn't that the church down the street, or isn't yeah. that the hospital downtown, or something yeah. like that? The city uh, of Florida. The city in Florida, Saint Augustine. So, g- g- give us a little intro on who this character was, and why we should care about him, and yeah. you know, just just give us some info. 
Yeah, well, I, I'll start by saying one of the one of the books that is a must read for not just if you want to read something from Augustine, but if, for Christians, one of the first books that every Christian just has to read, like required reading, is Augustine's Confessions. And um, and and the reason why it's so important is is uh, I mean it's it's basically like a two hundred and fifty page devotional type of stuff written by Augustine, um, and it's a it's like a dialogue between him and God, and it's yeah. talking about his conversion, it's talking about his life, it's talking about the things he's some of the things he's gone through. But but Augustine, here's the thing about Augustine is he he even before his conversion, he was one of the most brilliant minds in his in his era, in his generation. And people recognize that he was a very uh, popular, well-known rhetorician. And um, he was a professor of, of rhetoric. In other words, he taught that. And um, and and he had a very prestigious place in in, in the academy as far as uh, his 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 job goes. And he was 31 whenever he was converted. But uh, before that, it was a series of kind of just just wandering through different sects, different philosophies, different worldviews, different beliefs. And his mother was a Christian. His father was not. His mother was was behind the scenes praying for him, um, trying to trying to evangelize him. In fact, I talk about that a little bit in the book, just the idea of his his mother was an evangelist herself. I mean, she was really pleading for his soul from a very early age of his life. And so um, it doesn't really, it doesn't take root until he's in his thirties, but even his, uh, his conversion story, if you've ever heard the phrase, pick up and read or take up and read, that comes from Augustine's conversion because Augustine is at this breaking point spiritually. And uh, he, he goes outside. He's, he's, he's in disarray, emotional, emotionally, spiritually uh, because of his, because of his state. And he realizes that Christ, that Christianity, that that is true, that that's the true way. But he knows that his will is in bondage to sin still. Right. So he goes outside and he's, he's, he's you know, he's crying. He's a mess. And he goes outside. And when he's outside, he hears, he hears a voice over the wall saying, take up and read, take up and read. And so... He has a copy of Paul's letter sitting on his table inside. And so he sees that as, you know, the Lord calling him to go and, and pick it up and read. And so he goes inside and he reads um, he, the passage he, he opens up to is in Romans. And it, it, it specifically addresses some of the sins that he had been struggling with. And so once he reads that, it's just like a flood of truth comes over him, overwhelms him. And from that point onward, um, he is, he's a, he's a new creation. He's a new man. And so, um, and that's, that's told in his confessions, but, but so from 31 until the end of his life, he, he's a, uh, he, he is entirely devoted to the church and, um, and, and he tries, he tries to be a monk at first and kind of hide out with his friends out in the middle of nowhere, just talking about the things of God. But he comes back into town and, and, uh, and there's, there's a, uh, there's a pastor there who's wanting to retire. So they basically grab him and force him into the ministry. And, and that's, that's, he spends the rest of his life as a Bishop, which is, which is basically like a pastor. Um, but he's certainly a, a theologian. So, uh, B.B. Warfield about Augustine said, so if you look at the reformation, this is just to give you some insight on how, how mammoth this guy is. 
B.B. Uh, Warfield said that the Reformation was a battle between Augustine's doctrine of the church and Augustine's doctrine of salvation. And, and so, um, and that's because Augustine, like anybody else, has certain really, um, Augustine has remarkable traits, remarkable attributes and things that, that, that help the church, especially when it comes to the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, total depravity, um, election, things like that. But he also has some inconsistencies that, that Rome will pick up, will pick up on Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic church, and they'll try to claim as theirs. So they'll say, Hey, Augustine's ours. The reformers and the Protestants, we say, no, Augustine's ours, and we're both right. <laughs> but <laughs> he's, 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 just, he's just huge. Um, here's one of his, this is, this is called the City of God, and that's, that, it's a huge work, this right here. But um, this, is a, this is probably his second most famous work behind Confessions. In the City of God, what he does is he systematically... And, and in, in a way, if you, and I'm sure you've done some, uh, some, some talk on, on, on precept and apologetics and stuff, but, but Augustine, Augustine is doing that in that book because he, he, he goes and he, he attacks Rome and the Roman pantheon and the Roman religion and the Greek religion. And he does so by giving an internal critique of those religions and demonstrating the inconsistency of those religions. And then he follows that up with, with showing the consistency of Christianity and, and, and the, the claims of Christianity. So, um, and then in between he's got, you know, I mean, there's, there's somebody that says he's, he wrote so much that it's impossible to read everything that he actually wrote. And I could go on and on, but he's got letters, he's got sermons and, and all of them are, are, are phenomenal. All of it's good stuff. Wow. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I'm working my way through the city of God. Still, I read the confessions, um, really yeah. powerful stuff. It's nice. uh, absolutely. Um, when, when I think about evangelism, I think we mentioned this in the beginning of it, it kind of feels like you made a, a recovery slash discovery of something. Um, in this section, let's learn how the Augustine actually evangelized the gospel to the people. And I, I really want you to elaborate and give us examples really if you can how did augustine evangelize like yes. evangelize the gospel like did he create was he the first one to create a gospel track he was was he the first one to go out there and slap people with in the face with a jacket and then they get saved like like what is his methodology that that he would be like nah i don't do that but this is evangelism according to what i think yeah. and how Christians should emulate, right? Yeah. So maybe, maybe you could walk us through that. Yeah. Yeah, well, so so uh, Augustine, it's important to to, uh, to note that one of the groups that Augustine came out of was called Manichaeanism. And Manichaeanism was, uh, they themselves were, were, were very evangelistic. They were a cult. They come from, um, they come from Marcion. And so uh, they, they, they were, they were certainly a cult. And uh, but they remind me some somewhat of like a Jehovah's Witness or a, a, a Mormon type of mentality where it's just like all all hands on deck. We're going to go blitz neighborhoods. We're going to go. And so he comes out of that. And um, and I'm saying that because, you know, he has an evangelistic fervor and, and, and some experience already. But when he comes into the faith. 
Um, really, I think there's there's probably three main ways that he's evangelizing. Number one would be from the pulpit because he acknowledges that that within the church there are the saved and the non-saved, and so he sees it as so. If you read some of his sermons, you, his sermons are very evangelistic, and he recognizes that you know a lot of people here are lost, and and so I need to address their souls. I need I need to address that. Uh, number two, though, would definitely be his writings. And so that's that's kind of like what we're saying with the city of God. The city of God is an evangelistic track. It's an evangelistic book. It's a work that's written for people who are pagan. And he's trying to expose that, hey, you as a pagan have a deficient religion. And you need to you need to realize that there this is the this is the true religion, Christianity. And of course, there's some apologetic in there anyways, just because. Um, you know, people are trying to pin Christ Christians and Christianity for for uh, for the reason why the Roman Empire is collapsing, and so he's defending the faith in that way. But but his writings, um, he's writing letters. You know, it's really cool when you start going through his letters. Um, he'll he'll get letters from people who are lost from from a lot of times they're they're like uh, they're officials, they're they're people high up in government, and they're writing him about certain things regarding the faith, and he's responding to to them with letters. And so it's kind of like our our form of social media in a sense, you know, he would be, I, I have no doubt he would be interacting with people, maybe emails, social media through the medium of, of, of just exchanging words and letters and, and however you can text messages um, to people who are lost. And so he would, uh, he's definitely doing a lot of that. And then the third, the third thing is um, it, it gets a little tricky because so, so sometimes Augustine gets a bad rap, including, uh, among certain cer certain Protestants, uh, because of his interaction with uh, with with he, so if you remember the uh, the Roman Catholics in the Inquisition, when they're going around and they're basically forcing people to be converted, um, Augustine is not a proponent of that type of evangelism. However. Um, the way that he treats both the Donatists and the Pelagians is is uh, is somewhat harsh as as far as coercion goes, and 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 so and I'm saying that because again, it's not to say every everything Augustine did is just is just great. Augustine was tolerant towards um, those who were not Christians in the beginning. He was more tolerant. As time went on, what he realized, and this is why I'm categorizing this under evangelism, what he realized is that if there is a certain amount of persecution, now not murder, he was never okay with people being murdered or tortured or things like that, but if there is a certain amount of persecution or let's say, uh, let's say heavy-handed persuasion against enemies of Christianity, what he started seeing is that people do come to Christianity because they don't want to be persecuted. And so he, he, he seems to justify some of that. Now, not in the sense of the Inquisition. People, people try to tie Augustine with the Inquisition, and they're inaccurate for doing so. Augustine was never on board with something like that. But you do see some of the seed. Is, the seeds are planted there. And so, um, so that's another way that Augustine is, is, uh, is, is, is looking at times at, at evangelism. And again, I think, 
I think his motives are 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 genuine. That he's genuinely trying to trying to see souls converted. But of course, we look at it now, especially in our uh, in our very you know where 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 tolerance is like the the it's it's like the unpardonable sin to not be tolerant. And so Augustine, that's not his age. That's what we have to remember. Augustine does not live in 2022 United States. He lives in a in a in a in a world where this is normal. This is this is normal. It's not like what Augustine is doing is weird. That's normal. And so Augustine sees that as an opportunity to bring people into the faith. Let's go ahead and look at some Augustine quotes, homie. Here here's what a, here's a quote from Augustine. He says, if his opponents were to receive the truth, it can be done with greater ease, in my opinion, when the teaching of truth is aided by the fear of severity. And so he did write the only full justification in the history of the early church of the right of the state to suppress people who are not in the church. And, uh, and, and, and he says this, too. He said, as far as his coercion goes, he says, for if they were only being terrorized and not instructed at the same time, this would be an inexcusable tyranny on our part. So he's not saying that coercion should be done blindly or without the gospel. I'm not, you know, I'm not justifying it, but I'm saying, hey, you know, we it would be a straw man to say that Augustine had this like maniacal approach. And another letter, this is what he says in another letter. He says, we desire their repentance, not their death in order that they may be saved from falling into the penalties of the eternal judgment. We do not wish to see them quite absolved from punishment, nor on the other hand, visited with the torments which they deserve. Check their sins, therefore, in such a way as to produce repentance in at least a few. And so that is the aim. You know, he's wanting to see their genuine repentance. Yeah, I could definitely see how the Roman Catholics would be like, yeah, that, you know, what we're doing, you know, Augustine would be okay with because, you know, he's the one that kind of, that said he he said this right so like the inquisition is totally justified according to you know the jesuits and other people um but 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 what you're saying is that augustine would definitely disagree with the jesuit roman catholic inquisitions in all their forms yeah yeah and he would because and the reason i'm saying this is because um there are there are places like there was a donatist convicted of some crime um and he was guilty of it but augustine wrote to the judge who was a christian asking the judge to commute the death sentence against him in other words to 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 absolve that he says when i heard that they had confessed to these crimes i had not the slightest doubt that they would be subject to capital punishment at your hands so i have made haste to write this letter to your nobility begging and praying for you by the mercy of christ not to allow similar torture, tortures to be inflicted on them. I am at ease about the men who have confessed that they will not suffer reciprocal treatment. As a bishop, I warn a Christian, and as a Christian, I appeal to a judge not to let this happen. And then he says, if no lesser punishment were possible for them, we, we, we should prefer to let them go free rather than avenge the martyrdom of our brothers by shedding their blood. What had happened was that there were Christians that were killed by these guys. And so these guys confess to that crime and they are about to receive the death penalty. And Augustine comes in and says, no, no, no. 
strive to outdo the wickedness with goodness. By a monstrous crime, they tore limbs from a living body. You, you can, by a work of mercy, make them apply to some useful work the holy intact limbs that they exercise in their unspeakable deeds. They did not spare the servants of God who were preaching repentance to them. Now, now uh, spare them now that you have arrested, summoned, and convicted them. And then he goes on. He's saying, hey, they did this, but don't do that. Don't, don't react in that same way. He's begging them, don't let that happen. So, um, And there, there are other times when Augustine actually visits jails to protect prisoners from ill treatment. Um, so, so it's not... It's not just it's not just a again, it's not just this maniacal blind zeal that he has to torture. He was never okay with torturing. He was never okay with murdering. It was it was none of that. You know, I think maybe at the for 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 certain of the teachers, I think there was maybe something like exile. Um, But, you know, um, I and even that I'm not I don't even you'd have to check on that. But but the point is, is. Yeah, the extremes that you see with the Inquisition is would would not have been approved by Augustine because people were trying to be extreme like that, and he calls them back. He reins them mm-hmm. in and says, "No, don't go that far. That's not what we're about." Right. Okay, good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, wait, 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 wait. Let, let's go ahead and learn about evangelism. Can you just give us uh, an introduction to? What is evangelism? Like, what is it, and how would you define it, and what makes reform evangelism different from, I don't know, generic and basic evangelism? Right. You bet. So. Yeah, you bet. So, so evangelism. So, and I think like uh, maybe three of my books deal with this question. So, when I first started writing books about evangelism, the reason I started writing them was because of the the misnomers regarding evangelism and the and the bad definitions that are out there and uh and so certain certain armenians um a guy named i think it's darius salter um ralph winter i think is another one but they define evangelism in terms of its results in terms of the salvations it brings you can you can think of this like um, you define evangelism or, or let's say, uh, let's say even a church, like what's a healthy church or what's a, what's a good model for a church. They would say it's something like those which bring in most people. Evangelism is that which brings about most conversions. That's how they would define it. And so when you're actually looking at, okay, well, first of all, how does, how do the scriptures define it? Um, and, and then from that, and really even just working through what we know about God and man and things like that, we can come away with, with, a, with a, a, a much better and simpler definition of evangelism. Evangelism is simply sharing the gospel with a lost person. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with results because we know that salvation is of the Lord. And, and, and so and the reason I mentioned there are many and is because their theology is driving their definition. And in turn, their, their definition is driving their method. And so evangelism is simply sharing the gospel with someone who's lost, irrespective of results. And uh, it's, it's, it's watering, it's planting, it's, it's, that's, that's all it is. It's scattering the seed. You think of the, the parable of the sower, he's casting seed. That's, that's what evangelism is. And then God, in his mercy, will give the increase or he will, uh, it's, it's, it's like one person said, you know, 
whether or not someone believes, there's always a response. There's always a response. There's always something that happens. They either believe it or they reject it. And, um, and on the day of judgment, they're either going to be saved by that gospel or they're going to be judged by that gospel. And so there's always response. There's another, there's another saying that, that every time you evangelize, you bring someone to Christ, you lead someone to Christ every single time. So if someone says, you know, how often do you lead someone to Christ? Well, every single time I, I share Christ. Why? Because you're leading them to Christ. Whether or not they're saved is up to God. And we call them to be saved, you know. Turn to the Lord, turn to Christ, repent, believe the gospel, call them. But we know that ultimately salvation is of the Lord. And um, so that's 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 the definition. Let me point this out too about Augustine. Augustine, one of his main disputes was with the Pelagians. And, and there's some really nice quotes um, as far as people, how they're looking at the approach of Augustine is so different from the approach of the Pelagians. The Pelagians are the guys that do not believe in original sin, they believe that man's will is entirely neutral; that it has that 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 that's, that it is not in bondage to sin, and so they are free to make uh, either for Christ or or either respond to Christ or not respond. What what that does, though, and what Augustine, what they point out about Augustine is that Augustine was a preacher who was much more sympathetic with the plight of the hearers of the lost people. Because he knew that the bondage they were in, it they could not be delivered from it apart from the grace of God coming in and doing a work of grace through the gospel that's being proclaimed. The Pelagians, on the other hand, just like today with the Arminians, the Pelagians see this as, hey, I believed it. How come you can't believe it? You know, I did it. Why, why, why is it so hard for you? And they become harsh and callous and bitter. And 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 in a sense, they're saying, hey. I was I was righteous enough to believe this. How come you're not righteous enough to believe it? <laughs> wow! It, it becomes man's. It becomes a workspace almost. I think it's amazing how you know how closely it is related to the symbology of agriculture. Yeah. You know, in the Bible, where when it comes to the topic of evangelism, you know, Jesus says many times, you know, relating this very topic to agricultural references right like the harvest is ready but the laborers are few right like have you ever done a harvest like i never done a harvest i grew up in, in like pretty close to you know in orange county and then near near la like i never seen a harvest dude you know i, I went i went to food for less my whole life you know what i mean like i, I never plucked or plucked one corn in my life you know what i mean so like harvest like what uh, you know, laborers, it's like, okay. Um, so like, and there's other references, you know what I mean? So it, it, it is amazing that can, that agricultural reference there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And God's got to be the one that brings the, the actual growth. Yeah. And then one plant, the other one waters, you know, those references are pretty amazing when it comes to agriculture. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's go ahead and do a thought experiment. So if Augustine will come visit the year 2022, you got in the time machine and all of a sudden he's transported in LA or New York or New Orleans. Would he be impressed with the church if he just went around, you know, walked walked a hundred miles, for example, and then visited different churches? You do you think he'd be impressed or do you think he might be shocked at what and then go back in time, you know, back to the fourth, fifth century and he'd be like Well, I tell you this, Augustine's culture was was 
in fact, this is one of the motivations. This is what was very encouraging when I was when I was writing, uh, when I started writing on this topic, Augustine evangelism. The culture that he's engaging is very similar to ours. Not the church culture. I know that's the question. That's a great question. But the the culture in general is very pagan. It's very uh, hedonistic. It's all about pleasure. It's all about, and then there's a lot of false gods, false religions, all kinds of stuff going on. I don't know, in a sense, besides like being being blown away by cars and airplanes and all that, right? But the culture in general would not, I don't think, shock him. But yeah, as far as the church goes, that yeah, that's got to be another another subject because um, first of all. Of course, you know the, the 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 evangelical churches that we have today that are that are more driven by uh, emotion and and um, kind of like, hey, what 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 benefits the audience? What benefits the 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 congregation? And and you know, as opposed to saying, hey, what does God want from us when we worship? Which is how we want to we should do things like by the regulative principle, uh, but. But yeah, so those evangelical churches, of course, would be shocking to him, and 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 there's no doubt he would, he would uh, he would repudiate all of that, and, and 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 just be disgusted by all of it. And I think um, probably like we are um, for for a lot of us in the reform world, you know, it, it's kind of like the the question comes up with with any any with with Roman Catholicism. When I when I talk to to a Roman Catholic. I do point out that the church, even in the Roman Catholic Church, their church looks nothing like the church of Augustine or the church, of course, especially of like Paul. And of course, that comes with all the the bells and whistles, like the things that you see in a Roman Catholic service would look nothing like the service that you would find in the day of Augustine. The days of Augustine, it was much more simplistic. There's definitely there's definitely some seeds of what would later become these these heretical practices, right? But 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 you know the church in general was more simplistic, and and I I still think um, I think they're 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 operating certainly a little more closely to the scriptures as far as what they're doing what they're doing, and and so in general though I mean it's a it's a hard question, man, because you have so many different categories of what 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 constitutes as the church and i'm biased but i think i think if augustine came back today you know so anachronistic to even to to say but like you said as a thought experiment um i think that he would be i don't know i'm 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 at a loss man it would be something between like uh maybe like what you have in rome and and maybe like a high or or uh more of a more of a uh yeah, more of a high Presbyterian church. I wonder if you would step into a Presbyterian church and find it appealing or like, oh, yeah, you know, here's a couple of tweaks I would tweak. Or Yeah. I wonder what, what, what his thoughts would be on the Presbyterian church, right? Yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah, it would. Yeah. And, and, well, the church government would be somewhat similar. They already had, of course, the, the hierarchy of, of, of bishops and archbishops and stuff. That was already kind of taking root then. Um, so it'd, it'd be more like, uh, if we're talking Protestants, maybe more like an Anglican model. Um, but mm-hmm. as far as, as I mean, they were, they were, they were reciting the apostles creed 
they they were as far as if, have you noticed by the way like in the early church and even in the churches of the reformation um singing you know at most you you have like one one song usually from the psalter maybe from maybe a hymn um mm -hmm. i think jerome wrote hymns some other guys wrote hymns in his day but yeah i don't know that's a really good question yeah it's just a thought process thought experiment you know no. just to see what 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 he might think what about evangelism back in the day? How was evangelism done um, in Augustine time? Right? I think, like, yes, yes, yes. I know for certain, man, that early church, it was similar to how we do evangelism today, biblically, as far as it was not. So it's like I mentioned from the pulpit, like okay. I mentioned uh, letters, books. Mm -hmm. But there was, you know, most people being brought in. In fact, there's there's good books that'll show you in the early church. Most people who were being brought into the church were were brought in by everyday normal lay Christians who were not ministers or, you know, they weren't they were church planners. They were just they were Christians who are out in in their everyday environment. They're sharing the faith and people are being converted that way, way more often than any other way. Wow. And, and wow. so, yeah, they evangelized like we do. And at times they were persecuted for it. You know, in certain pockets of that of that culture, you're going to be persecuted more heavily than others. You could lose your job. You you were certainly looked down upon. This was not a Christian. You know, we, we sometimes think of, of that era because it's post-Constantine. Constantine comes to reign in like 312. Right. And it's true that the Christianity, although it's no longer officially persecuted, here and there it will be, but but by and large it's not. But it's not a it's not a Christian empire, and 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 that there's statistically I'm speaking statistically, it's it's most people are still very much pagan. That's why Augustine writes the City of God because Christians are being looked upon by the pagans. That's why when Augustine's converted, guess what happens? He has to stop teaching. This yeah. is when he gets converted. I don't know what year, maybe like three seventy three, three sixty somewhere around then. But this is this is thirty years after Constantine comes into power and yet yeah. it, it, you're still not allowed to be a teacher if you're a christian if you're a christian you can't teach but it, it mm -hmm. goes to show that they're still sharing their faith despite the persecution and in spite of the persecution by sharing their faith people come into the faith and and the church grows yeah i think it's amazing how god used the laity the people at the bottom to grow the bottom up you know what so i mean important. so important do you think we need more evangelists today? What about today? Why aren't there more evangelists or evangelism going on in the United States? Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that's a question I've I've tried to figure out myself. Uh, yeah. I think I think one is is uh, you know part of the problem is nominal Christianity, where it's a Christianity where you don't suffer much, you don't you don't take risks. You, you, you're not called to take risks. You don't have to. You know, it's a cozy, comfortable Christianity. And the thing about evangelism is, even for me, I mean, I evangelize, you know, all the time. But it's still hard. And yeah. and it's uncomfortable. I, I, I've seen some of your videos, and that that's a very uncomfortable situation yeah. for anybody. You know what I mean? For anybody. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and there, 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 there's a lot of garage fathers out there who are like, Man, I don't want to be in people's faces or converting the masses or like, I don't want to shove religion down people's throats 
or uh, I'm not really I'm not really religious, you know. But yeah, I have I, I have a respect for God or something like that. So I've heard plenty of times those I call them Bass Pro Christian excuses. <laughs> if you take a if you take a stroll to your local Bass Pro shop and you're buying a fishing rod. And you just talk to somebody, hey, man, how you doing? Hey, aren't you, you know, what's going on over here, man? Like, I thought you were a church guy, you know what I mean? Like, didn't you go to so-and-so Lutheran church over there? And it's like, like, yeah, well, you know, I'm friendly with God, but, you know, I don't want to be, like, converting yeah. people, you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. into that. So it's like, but you go to a Lutheran church. I'm sure Luther would be, yeah. encourage you right now to, uh, to go to your next Sunday school, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And, 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 and that on that on that same note, I think part of that is like, you know, you, you alluded to Luther. Part of this is theology. If you look at how most people think evangelism is done today, just like you mentioned, the, the, the notion is, hey, I'm going to evangelize people based on my lifestyle. Well, that's not biblical. I'm sorry. I mean, it's good that our, our lifestyle should be consistent with the gospel that we preach. But your lifestyle is not what converts people. It's preaching of the cross it's the word of christ the 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 power of god into salvation is the gospel faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god that's what converts people not your lifestyle not your smile not how i mean that's just that's just the fact and i think people have that mentality that like you mentioned oh we can't shove religion down people's throats well i'm sorry that's exactly what christ is doing that's exactly what paul's doing that's exactly what the disciples are doing that's exactly what everybody who's ever been a Christian does. That's what you do. Because you know that if you don't do that, they're not going to be saved. But I love them enough to do that anyways. That, you know, and, and you love God enough because when you do it, God's glorified. And so I think that's, I think a lot of it's false conversion. And a lot of it comes from bad teaching about what evangelism is and what, what it actually means to, uh, what, it, what, it, what it takes to save somebody. That is, it's got to be the gospel going forward, people hearing it. Let's go ahead and take it back to the local church. You know, you, you have to take it to the local church and ask them the question. How can a local pastor or even a local congregation encourage a culture of evangelism? Yeah. Like, how, how can they stir one another up to, to love and good works, right? Yeah. And um, especially in evangelism, how can that culture be created or cultivated in a local church? Yeah, the, the, I mean, the obvious the obvious answer, the, the easiest answer would be the, 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 the elders have to be exemplifying it. And I want to be careful here because, you know, I'm not saying that every pastor has to be going out and open air preaching or, or this and that. But every pastor should be. Um, it's like Al Baker says, they should have a fishing hole outside of the church that they are fishing in regularly. Talking about the lost, whether it's in a jail, whether it's a, a homeless shelter, whether it, maybe it is open air preaching, college ministry, going around on campus. I mean, there you've pastors cannot live in a bubble, in the church bubble. You've got to, I mean, Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You've got to do that. It's so easy to become so comfortable as, as pastors where you don't you, you just so immersed in the church life which is good i mean that's primarily what a pastor's called to do right but 
Um, it's also it's also incumbent upon the path. He needs to go out and, and, and fish and evangelize. That the reason I'm saying that is one of the things that will help a church is because the a lot of evangelism is caught, not taught. It's something that is infectious. You see others doing it. You see leaders doing it. Also, just I think what helps too in the church is 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 the leadership in the church praying for those who are more evangelistic openly publicly praying for that ministry praying for the ministries um, encouraging people i mean every church has evangelists in them the problem is is that a lot of churches squash that they say you know that's not something we really want to get involved in and now sometimes maybe that's legitimate right but most of the time it's not most of the time it's well that's not something that we came up with so we're not really okay with that so why don't you just you know either either you know don't do it, or if you do it, don't let us know about it, and we'll just kind of keep it on the side. Uh, and there's various reasons for that. You know, evangelism's messy, man. Evangelism's going to get your church into trouble a lot of times. I mean, I can't even exp- – you know, we all have stories. The more you evangelize, the more you have stories of how messy it can get. It does. It's messy. You're out there. Evangelism is is the only ministry. Think of this. So if there's – if evangelism, if, if, if it's illegal to meet in church – to go to worship, if that becomes illegal, we are still called to do that and obligated to do it, but we can do it underground where the enemy doesn't know about it. When it comes to evangelism, if a culture tells you, hey, you, it's illegal not to evangelize, don't do it. Well, guess what? We have a mandate to evangelize anyways, and you can't evangelize underground. Now, you can do it privately. You can do it one-on-one, but what I'm saying is that evangelism requires us to go to the enemy and tell them about the gospel in hopes that they go from being an enemy to a lover of God. But if they don't, guess who's going to get in trouble for that? We are. Because they're going to turn. Yeah. They're gonna, and, and so I think that's what keeps a lot of churches from getting their hands messy in this because, hey, man, it's messy. And and, and you might get some bad ratings on your church website, website when the lost come and, and blitz them, blitz your church because they're like, hey, these are the guys that evangelize. These are the guys that like come and actually shove the gospel down our throats. And I'll tell you right now, we need to be respectful, of course, right? We need to be um, compassionate and patient and loving with the lost. But, dude, the, the fact remains that the preaching the gospel is foolish to those who are perishing. And it's an aroma of death. Yeah, um, it's a very messy thing. Uh, it's a very risky thing. You, you have to go out there and do it. If you're out there, you know, you're in the hands of God. You're walking by faith, not by sight. You know, um, yeah. it's definitely a faith-based activity in general, from my experience. Because- and that's why, back to your question, that's why the church, if they're behind the guys that are evangelizing and praying for them, and encouraging them that is going to that's going to make a that's going to build a culture of evangelism in the church where you're praying for it because think about it you got guys doing it you're praying for it publicly you got a pastor doing it pastors doing it every now and then to the extent that they're able and they, they have these fishing holes um and and of course in the sermons bringing that through in the sermons as you have the opportunity to apply things and, and say hey this is this is there's always material in, in, in not every sermon, maybe, but in a lot of sermons, right, to, to express the fact, hey, 
look at this. Look at what's going on right here. The, this is this is evangelism. This is the importance of it. This is the fruit of it, whatever that looks like. What about that one pastor in the back, way in the back, that one pastor? I see you. Yeah. Um, be sympathetic, I would say, man. And, and, and of course, just, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to expect people to have the same zeal that we have about a certain area. But I tell you, you know, sympathize with, with your pastors and, and because it, it is a load, man. It's a, it, it is, there's a, there's, there's, there's a lot of different things involved. Um, and so I would just say that, you know, when, when you, when you go into the conversation, approach it in a way with, with examine your heart, you know, get rid of any bitterness or any grudge or anything like that. And just come in and, and, and talk to them about it. You know, I think just talking to them and, and saying, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to encourage you to do this. I mean, what I, what I'm saying is come alongside of him and, and really try to genuinely try to help him help facilitate a, a way for him to be more active in evangelism. And, and, and I think that will go a long way. And, and, uh, and, and, and look, pastors by their gifting, they're not evangelists. So they're going, it's not, it's not comfortable stuff, man. It's, it's out of their comfort zone. Right. But we know that they're still, of course, called to do it. Um, and I think that's why we need to, you know, be patient with them, uh, be encouraging. And, and at the same time, you know, be, be, be firm in the scriptures. And, and I think, I think that'll happen if you have, you know, if you have a, if you have a, a pastor who, because he's going to be convicted by it, you know, he's going to know, Hey, yeah, you're right. He, yeah, you're right. If he's honest, right. You're right. I'm not evangelizing. I'm not doing any of it. Let's go ahead and bring this to a close. What would be your closing thoughts as we end this, you know, conversation, just as Maybe you want to highlight something again uh, about your book or maybe something about this topic again or, you know, bring it, bring it back. What would be your closing thought for, for this topic? Yeah, yeah. I, so, so there's a lot to glean from church history when it comes to evangelism. And I think that's a real deficit that we have in general as, uh, as Christians in, in, our, in our culture that, that you know, we, we, we are, we're, we're usually very thin on our, our, on our church history. And there's so much to learn. I'll give you one, one example. Justin, um, not, yeah, Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr was a second century philosopher and he was a pagan. And, uh, and this is before, of course, he has the name Martyr. He's just Justin. He's a Greek philosopher, uh, uh, Plato philosopher, Platonic philosopher. This guy encounters some guy walking on the beach one day. And and Justin's out there just meditating or philosophizing or something, right? And this guy walks up to him and they start talking. And so Justin is telling him about about Platonic philosophy and and this and that. And the guy he talks to is some old guy just on the side of the beach. And the guy starts telling him about about Christ from the Old Testament and how it was fulfilled in this Jesus of Nazareth. He tells him this, and he's looking at the scriptures, you know, he's pointing to the scriptures. And then this old guy just leaves, walks away. Well, that 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 was an arrow that stuck in his heart. And and ultimately he was converted by it. He has no idea who that guy is. He never talked to him again. But Justin Martyr turned out to be one of the most most influential early fathers in church history. 
And, and my point is, is there's so much like that in the early church that we as Christians today can learn from and glean from for our own encouragement our own, and, and our own practice of evangelism. There's a lot to learn there. And so I would say, check that out. And Augustine, Augustine is, is, is bar none the best place to look, because, again, I think everything he did was evangelistic in a sense, more or less. And so, uh, but that, that's, that's how I summarize everything. You know, that's why this stuff's important. It's not just, Hey, read the book. Cause I wrote it. No, I, you know, I, I could care less. I really could, but, but read it so that you can apply it to your own evangelism and be encouraged by, by what they're doing. And in turn, God gets glory and people get brought in in our converted. Amen. Amen, bro. Uh, let's go ahead and close it out. But uh, until next time, bro, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, and if you're listening for the first time, don't forget to hit that like button, little little bell for notifications. Uh, Ryan, where, where where can people buy the book and where can people uh, find you? Uh, go to Twitter. Texas Preacher on Twitter is my handle. Texas Preacher. The book is on Amazon. I would say just go to Amazon, buy the book. It's, it's, I don't know what the, I don't know what the latest price on the book is, but, but, uh, I don't think, I, I mean, I, I think it's affordable. I don't think they, they jack yeah, yeah. prices up too much, right. but yeah. So I'd say, I think Amazon is probably the easiest place to find it. All right, guys, go on Amazon, prime it, and then get it within a day or two. And you'll be reading this awesome book. It's on my to-do list. <laughs> I got to get it too. So I appreciate the encouragement, man. Hey, uh, thank you for the words. Thank you for the book. Yes. We'll go ahead and. And this until next time, guys. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Bible Theory. Don't forget to share this with your homies. Support Bible Theory on Patreon. Follow me on Twitter at the Chicano Knox. Like and subscribe to Bible Theory on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and more. Gracias por escuchar Bible Theory. No olvides a compartir esto con tus homies. Apoya Bible Theory and Patreon. Sígame en Twitter en The Chicano Knox. Dame un like y suscríbete a Bible Theory en Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio y más.